Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is the Al and Lingy Show. Brilliant tap work, Gresham curling, curling! Magnificent all this is just a leap by Paddy Ryder. Stokes down low, Corey to Ling, and then Ling goes bang, and the captain, as he did last week from about there, kicks the goal. The top seed toppled again as the Premiership race grows all the more intriguing. Clutch Collingwood. Pies climb into the eight, and Fremantle claims another major scalp to further enhance its credentials. Hello and welcome to the Al and Lingy Show. Three-time Cats Premiership player and their last Premiership captain, Cameron Lingy, is here as always. G'day, Lingy. G'day, Al. Good to be with you. Yeah, what a game of footy we just witnessed. We're recording this on Sunday night. Fremantle, oh, they are impressive. Speed, hardness, tough, the lot, skill, uh, brilliant performance. I can't believe how quickly this rebuild and what Justin Longmuir has done with his team, how quickly it's coming together. They're a terrific team. Yeah, third season, seven wins in the first year, 10 in the second. And now the Fremantle Dockers with their performance, they're third on the table and they've already won the nine games this season as well. Lingy. So it's been superb from the Dockers. Now we've been hoping to get this man as a, an additional guest on for a number of weeks. And this week seemed absolutely perfect given the Sydney Swans performance. He played 325 games for them, won a couple of premierships as well, was a heart and soul blood. Jude Bolton, welcome to you. Thanks, mate. Thanks very much for having me, Al Lingy. How are you, boys? Oh, great to have you with us, folks. Always good to see you. If you can invite me anytime after a good Swans victory, <laughs> I'm happy to chat. No, it was, uh, that was certainly impressive uh, on Saturday night. What did you like most about that performance, Bolt? Oh, for me, it was the maturity of the youngsters. I think uh, when, when you get a chance to play against good quality opposition, you always want to acquit yourself really well. And, and certainly those youngsters that um, you know, took to the field on Saturday night for the Swans, they, they were able to just stifle the run of the, the Melbourne Footy Club. I just thought every time that uh, the Ds turned the football over, they would just really just, uh, you know, almost strangle them and, uh, and and just take them to ground. So it was a, a really a strong defensive aspect and then uh, a positive win. We'll do a deep dive on Sydney because it was such a strong performance and, and you wonder what it means for them and what it means for Melbourne. How seriously would Melbourne take the two losses? Is it just a little blip in what will be a very strong season still from Melbourne? Or is there something more serious at play? We'll take you through it all. Lingy, what caught the eye this week for you, mate? Well, there were things catching my eye left, right and centre, Al, but it's all been taken over by what Fremantle did. And one player in particular for Fremantle that caught my eye, yes, Andrew Brayshaw, superb. Yes, Banfield, superb. Yes, Frederick, superb. All this. But quietly under the radar, and I, and I say this surprisingly quietly because he is the is a recent rising star winner, Caleb Sarong, his elevation so quickly to just an A-grade midfielder, continues to impress me. That that front and square, the crumbing goal where he just came through on the first, took cleanly, superb goal. He is so clean. 
He's so creative and he's got that power and burst from stoppages. I, I mean, I, I know it's too early to jump to this. I think he went pick eight in his his draft. But all of a sudden, the way that he is playing right now, you go, he's the pick of a lot of them. Luke Jackson sits in that draft. Now, he could be whatever. He could be something just ridiculously off the charts. Uh, but Matty Rowell and Noah Anderson, that could be terrific players still. But Caleb Sarong sitting there right now with the form that he's producing only these few years into his career, he is something very, very special and a huge reason why Frio are sitting where they're sitting. Yeah, their midfield is, there's a lot to like about that Fremantle midfield. You've got the veteran David Mundy in there, but then you have Will Brody, who had a, another superb game for the Dockers. Brayshaw, as brilliant? you mentioned as well. They've got some real class in there. James Aish is winning a lot more of the ball and playing lockdown roles when required as well. Uh, we will have a good chat about Fremantle. Uh, though, Jude, I know you've watched your footy across the weekend as well. Was there anything that jumped out in your eyes? Oh, for me, just watching the uh, the Collingwood Hawthorne game at the G, I just I want to just touch upon a guy who's had such a, a stellar career throughout, but he joined illustrious company again in, in his most decorated career. And it's Scott Pendlebury. He joined the 9,000 disposal club. So he joins Robert Harvey, who was a hero of mine as a kid. I had Robert Harvey posters on the wall, uh, Brent Harvey and KB. So uh, to have 9,000 disposals and KB, obviously many of those were just kicks, but uh, um, no, just a phenomenal player and still having such an impact and, and a leader of men, 25 or so disposals today and, and so impactful in Collingwood's big win. Well, guys like Boomer and, and also Sean Burgoyne have sort of shown that you can play into your late 30s. Pendlebury is clearly playing well enough to keep playing beyond this year and maybe even further, isn't he? Absolutely. And I think um, the longevity and quality, that's that's all you should you know uh, judge someone on. And uh, certainly he's been able to produce at such a high level um, and place various roles, but he's, he's still got all the time in the world whenever he's got the football, which is just staggering in, in today's modern game. We've been so, probably going back six, seven, eight years and beyond, Bolts. We, we were so quick to retire people. Or oh, they've hit 30, 31, they're done, they're slowing down, they've got nothing else to offer, get them out of there. I think we've finally come around to the fact that, yes, they might not be peak 27-year-old version of themselves where they could take on the world, but they're still incredibly valuable. You look at Scotty Pendlebury, we can play half back and set up things as an on-field coach, but then he can also go into the midfield like he did on Anzac Day and completely mm -hmm. turn the game around because he was asked by Craig McRae to figure out what was happening and fix it up, and he, and he did that. We saw Luke Hodge move from Hawthorne, perhaps finish, but then goes to Brisbane, has a huge influence as that on-field coach. So we're finally realising, let's not retire these champions too early just because we compare them to absolute peak, unbeatable versions of themselves. Realise they're still a hell of a lot better than some of the other players you might be trying to replace them with. Well, that's exactly right. And, and it's an interesting conversation, particularly when you throw the likes of, say, Tex Walker, who's, who's you know, said on, on record that there isn't an offer on the table. But, wow, the way he's have, having, you know, the format that he's in, it could be so impactful for any other side at this point as well. What does it, I was going to ask you about Taylor Walker, so we may as well do it now, but he would clearly want more than a one-year deal. Do you think Adelaide would likely give him one? And if not, would he be within his rights to, to look elsewhere? How do you see this playing out with Taylor Walker? Because he, if you go back a year or two, people thought his career was over then, but he has 
found something in his playing again, in his body again, perhaps his kicking penetrations back and his commanding, uh, that commanding presence he can have over a game and the swagger is back as well for him. So what should he be thinking is realistic in terms of a contract? Well, Liggy touched on before Sean Bergwijn and he signed one-year deals pretty much consistently after 30. And I think that's probably, you know, a, a, a positive way to, to look at it and say, look, keep yourself on edge, keep yourself moving throughout. Obviously he would love to uh, love a two-year deal. I don't think Adelaide will throw that at him at this point, but um, his, his form warrants absolutely another contract. Yeah, Do I think really he would stay if offered just a one-year deal? Uh, I mean, I would hope he would, given he's got a lot to repay um, and, and everything. He's got to win back a lot of respect still. He might be playing terrific footy, but there is the other element to what he's Definitely. trying to rediscover and, and, and win that respect back. Um, I'm completely comfortable with it being one-year deals um, for, for players of a certain age. I, I'm, with what I said before, you don't need to go offering a, a Scotty Pendlebury or, a, or anyone in that age group a three-year deal. That's irresponsible list management because things might happen. But I think a rolling one-year contract where it's done, let's call it mid-season buy each year, and, and you go, okay, I can see this player's body still healthy. I we What he brings us on the field coaching-wise or what he brings on the field with his big moments or his commanding presence, as you mentioned before, Al, get it done at the mid-season, make it a one-year and have those conversations constantly with him saying, you're going you're gonna to continue on one-year deals, but don't take that as a negative of we don't want you around. It's just that's a list management strategy we're going to have for everyone who's 32, 33 years plus, and let's, it's just going to be done. It's going to be done. So rest assured, if you're playing good footy and you're still completely buying in and you're driving us forward, you're going to get that one-year deal, no worries at all. Um, it's just the way we're going to do it. That's the conversation being held with uh, Lance Franklin at the moment by the mm. Sydney Swans. And certainly um, from what we're led to believe, it's Tom Harley leading those discussions. You know, how's, how's the body? How's the mind? How's your, you know, that, that wherewithal to, to attack another year and another preseason. But that's the, that's the right way to approach it is, is adjust mid-year and then it triggers through that year at some stage. And with Buddy Jude, how much do you think there's still that, additional element with him so there's the playing component with buddy but then there's the sheer buddy franklin component and what he brings to the sydney swans that obviously is going to add another layer salary wise still even in the twilight of his career do you think Oh, he's still still the most marketable player in Sydney, even at this point. And we saw the, the the fans stream onto the ground when he kicked the thousand. But I mean, you know, I think his his uh, mentorship of the likes of say a Logan McDonald can't go underestimated. I know I spoke to uh, Joel Amati, for instance, and he he just said he's been been huge on my career, just being able to you know talk him through certain moments and and train with him and 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 have that impact. Bolts, well, I just wonder with with Buddy, so. We- Everything I'm saying, I, I, I think we both agree that the older players have so much to offer. Buddy, personally, will he ever be the type of person and player who will then eventually be content with maybe a goal a game and um, a cup, playing that real second, third fiddle? Uh, he, even, even now, in, in heading towards the twilight of his career, he's still capable of turning a game and kicking five goals in a half and just blowing everybody's minds. Will he ever be discontent with being an okay player? Or do you think he 
It's just so special and his standard's so high that he says, no, unless I can still be a player who massively influences games, I don't want to play anymore. Yeah, it's a good question, Lee. I think probably, I think he, he has to resign to the fact that you've got to be a cameo player at some stage. Um, however, we've seen him kick three or four goals, you know, after halftime um, to, to blow Brisbane, you know, open initially and, you know, get the Swans back in the game and things like that. So I think, it, you know, he's probably just got to sit there and say, at, t- at some stage I've got to push up higher up the ground or... You know, I'm not that go-to when I'm going inside forward 50 when, when the midfielders come in, but he draws the football so much still. Um, you know, a commanding presence and, you know, as a midfielder, so quite often you do, you run out and you see that big target who leads hard and, and, and you know it's going to give you a good contest. So, But I, I think he has to resign to the fact that, you know, maybe I sit back and, and be that cameo player that can come in and have an impact uh, sporadically. Just as we lead into a deeper dive on the Sydney Swans in that game against Melbourne and what it all means, I just wanted to acknowledge John Longmire and what he's done as a coach. I think it's it's widely acknowledged that he's a fantastic coach, but do we actually shower him in the degree of praise that he deserves for what he's done at the Sydney Swans? He's in his 12th season. He's won a grand final. He's been to another two that the Swans didn't win. He's only missed the finals twice in 2019 and 2020. He's refashioned a list. He's got a, a list that had so much defensive quality and he's added offensive layers and young players and uh, imported players, some discards from other teams that have come to the Sydney Swans have got markedly better under his mm. tutelage and the tutelage of others and the culture that exists at that club. So I think when it's all said and done and you look back on his career as a coach, whenever that comes to an end, he will be right up there in terms of the great AFL coaches, won't he? Well, I think so. Yeah, Al, I think uh, one of the great things about John is his ability to build rapport and you need to be able to do that with a young list as well, being able to be approachable, be that sort of almost family or mentor sort of type figure. But then he's still got that steely resolve to, to you know, drive a football club, drive the standards of the leaders throughout. And, um, you know, I think, yeah, I, I hold him in extremely high regard, um, you know, having played under him and seen the way he coaches and, and brings teams along. However, there, you know, there has been that criticisms, uh, criticism at times, you know, they the performance, for instance, you know, against uh, Hawthorne in the 20, uh, 2014 grand final and, and people sort of still look back and say, you know, what could have changed in that grand final? But it's, um, you know, he's, he's a phenomenal coach. I wonder... Where do you see this one's Lingy? Where That's obviously a terrific win. They'd beaten Geelong. That was the only other team currently in the top eight that they'd beaten prior to the match against Melbourne. And, and there was something very eye-catching in the way that they did it to Melbourne as well. What did you take away? I I took away that I'm still not 100% sure on how just how good the Swans are and how much they can achieve this year. When I watched them play like they did on Saturday night, they can win the Premiership. But then my mind goes back a few weeks and uh, against the Gold Coast Suns, who have proven now to be, you know, getting better and better and better. Gee, they were poor. Um. Is that just the maybe it's just the fluctuation of form of some younger players and just really learning to be really really good and on every single week and, and if that is that that's fine. Um, Bolt, I wonder. It's just a little question. Who's going to help me answer my question? Uh, the, Al, the the question that Al's asking me. Do you think the Swans are better on the MCG than they are on the SCG? That that. 
that space and their creativity with their ball use and their off-the-line ball use and their run and the power run of some of their mids and Heaney's ability to find space and all of that just seems better suited to the MCG than the confines of the SCG. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think there, there is such a – this is probably the best kicking side I've seen in a, you know, a red and white side for you know, many years. And just the ability to, to gut run and, and, and change the angles and slice teams up, be really brave with the ball use through the middle at times, but also stretch defences wide. Um, so I think, I think they do play – better on the MCG. They don't play down there that often. Um, so it's, you know, it's when they do, they've got to, they've got to capitalize and try and test teams when they do, but um, they certainly have structured um, pretty well, but I agree with that sort of that. I, I'd, I'd describe it as immaturity at times. Like I, like that was an immature performance against Gold Coast, um, you know, fell away and poor starts quite often can lead to, you know, that, that immaturity. How do we, how do we steal ourselves for a big contest start? Well, um, you know, set the tone in a game. So I think there's still a lot of, lot of upside, um, whether that eventuates into the back end of the year and um, they can, you know, repeat those performances that they've, they've produced against the likes of say Richmond and, and Melbourne in the last two weeks. Well, it's yet to be seen. Well, coming into the, coming into this round, Sydney were ranked third on attack and eighth in defence. It's not a bad balance. Now, yeah, of course, they want to bump up that defence uh, a little bit. But if you can score and you can give teams a bit of a fright when you do have the game on your terms and momentum, you can be very, very scary come September. Uh, Bolts, I, I know I always found the most intimidating teams when we played throughout September in the finals was that fear of yet physical um, attack and, and pressure and their brilliant in the contest and everything like that, but also their ability to just break you and break you quickly on the scoreboard, mm-hmm. where if you lapse for 10 minutes, all of a sudden you look up and go, oh, hang on a second, where's six or seven goals down here? Yeah. Whereas other teams could break you a little bit and have momentum their way totally for 10 minutes and you realise, oh, it only cost us a goal. Mm-hmm. Eh, it's not that big a worry. We'll get the game back on our terms Life's life's fine. That that's where, and I'm not I'm not going to go jump me up and down. I'm not going to make any big stupid statements here, Al or Bolt. But please, Lee, come on, come on, Lee. <laughs> We're up for that. Just the one nagging little thing, and it comes on the back of two losses in a row, is Melbourne and their balance. They're unbelievable defensively. They're second in the comp coming into this round. Brilliant in the midfield, but they're coming into this round again seventh in attack. So they, even when they had the game against the Swans on Saturday night on their terms, they didn't destroy the game and just completely put Sydney out of the game. And and it's been regularly happening where they've controlled games but haven't made it so easy for themselves by piling on eight goals in a quarter and then another seven in the next. And the game's done then. The Swans don't even get a look in or other teams don't. um, Fremantle wouldn't have got a look in. That's just the only nagging little thing with, with Melbourne is their ability to, find, ability to find really easy goals and just blow teams off the park when they have the game in control. I still think they're the best team in the competition. I'm not saying anything ridiculous like that, but that's an advantage Sydney have. When they get, it, when they get momentum, they score and they can actually pile it on either coming from behind or putting themselves in a position where they totally control the game. So... That's where Sydney will be dangerous. I, again, I'm not, not 100% sure on Sydney, and I believe strongly in Melbourne, 
But you just look at that ability to score and you go, okay, I could see something something happening again in September when these two teams play. Yeah, I think I think they've been up for so long though. There was always going to be a little bit of a lull, and these last two weeks have probably highlighted that a little bit. Just that. I don't know, just ability to get across the ground. And, you, yeah, certainly Simon Goodwin mentioned in his press conference afterwards just that efficiency once we had ball in hand to be able to say, how do we execute well in transition? And they weren't. They weren't able to have the time and space. Um, I think, you know, like just with Stephen May going down for that period, it's just it's it's shown there's a bit of vulnerability. I mean, it, Lever suddenly has to be really accountable. There's no... Um, yeah, I just didn't think Tomlinson played the level that he need, you know he needs to be as, as a as a key defender, and they look gettable a little bit from, from that sense. But um, they'll just re- this is the perfect chance for someone good to to sharpen them up, um, and they'll have a yeah they'll be scaring teams again very very soon. What does that forward line look like though, Bolt? Well, Tom McDonald's, you know, the, the potential of Liz Frank, you know, yep. injury, that is uh, like, because Mitch Brown had no little to no effect on the weekend. So um, I think, you know, we, we know how quality, you know, Bailey Fritch is down there. Um, it, Wiedemann still, I feel, you know, still got some development, but gee, when he's, when he's on, I, I love the courage that he brings and he's, you know, he can fly back into, into packs and things like that. So, it's going to be interesting how it, uh, you know it finishes up because Ben Brown's obviously a um, a quality forward as well. Yeah, his form's dipped away a little bit as well, hasn't it? And yeah. and interesting to see how sides in the last couple of weeks, Fremantle and and Sydney, have been able to get Melbourne to defend one on one. Obviously, when Stephen May isn't there, that's a, a lot easier to do. But some of the work in the middle of the ground helps that as well. And quick movement of the ball inside the Ford Fifty certainly um, from Sydney had. Melbourne in, in a lot of trouble. And Sam Reid popped up and played one of those games that he plays every once in a while, but perhaps as much as he's, he's been a solid player, hasn't produced consistently enough, Jude? Yeah, it, he's a, such a confidence player, Sam, and he's, he's been like that throughout the career. I, I'd love for him to just back himself for the remainder of his career, just throw it all out there, because that that was the type of game he is capable of. He's... um. You know, when he kicks the first and then he's, you know, trying to crunch packs and things like that and then able to go in and compete in the ruck. Um, I thought he did reasonably well, even though Max Gorn was the best player on the ground by a mile. No one was stopping Max last night. But just to be able to have that competitiveness in the ruck, um, he hit the scoreboard um, and he's tackling as well. I think that 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 goes on, you know, you're looking for areas where Melbourne um, have just faltered a little bit. Fremantle were able to get after them at, at the centre bounces, Put the, put the pressure on when they won the when they won the first possession. Put it back into scramble, and then suddenly it's even ball again. So uh, Sydney were able to do that again, and um, on the back of Fremantle's third quarter last week, and uh, Sam Reid had ten tackles. I mean, that was that was one of the telling things as well. Yeah, seventy three tackles for the Swans in, in total. They were very strong in in that area of the ground or in that area of the game. Fremantle, you mentioned Jude. Let's have a good look at how they're travelling mm-hmm. because they've not only got over that little hump that they had when they lost to Collingwood and they lost to the Gold Coast Sun. So they beat Melbourne and you're like, wow, we didn't see that coming. And and now they've beaten another heavyweight in the competition in the Brisbane Lions, albeit at home. Gee, it was striking to me how much purple there was. 47,000 people at Optus Stadium. It seems like they've awakened a, a supporter base that, yeah, they've been loyal and they've gone along to, to home games, but now everyone wants to, to get involved in this club that's very clearly headed in the right direction under Justin Longmuir. 
Yeah, I think defensively they're so sound at the moment. I love the way Justin Longmuir has thrown Griffin Logue forward just to, to have a bit more presence, and that's been been really telling. Their aerial dominance, you know, Rory Lobbs been able to be really commanding inside forward fifty, and and then they, their smalls go to work from there. I think they've got a lot of lot of class. Brayshaw is just so prolific through the midfield. We've spoken a little bit about Will Brody. I mean, his third quarter um, really impactful four clearances. Um, so. And, and Sean Darcy, you know, I think um, we can't uh, underestimate how good a player Sean Darcy is as well um, at the centre bounce. You look at it, Lingy, the mark of a good coach is surely their capacity to develop and get the very best out of everyone. And, and for Fremantle, you look at some of the players who are contributing really heavily and they're not necessarily the star players in the side, nor players who would be overly recognisable to some within the competition. Bailey Banfield kicking four goals. Frederick's getting better every week. Schultz plays his role. They've got defenders who are emerging as well. This clearly he has has got something going with that that side to the point where there's improvement, there's clear buy-in from everyone as well. And there's also a system that that seems to work and everyone's on the same page with. He's done a superb job. I mean, you just sit here and say Justin Longmuir will take a bow because the way that he's how quickly he's developed them and the but the way that he's developed them is very, very sustainable. They've got a balance in that midfield. Yeah, yeah, you go, okay, Andrew Brayshaw had 39 disposals, but Brayshaw runs hard the other way as well. He actually puts some time in defensively. Caleb Sarong's had 31 touches and kicked a goal. He runs hard the other way. And I remember games, this is probably going back to Caleb's first year, it must have been. And I reckon he played on Paddy Dangerfield in a game. I reckon at times he played on other star midfielders for the opposition. And Justin Longmuir was teaching him how to be a genuinely great midfielder. And the great midfielders play both ways. They run hard both ways. They're not always um, incredible defensively, but they've certainly got to work a work rate to transition defensively and to, to do their job defensively. So he was teaching Caleb that from a young age. Aish, I mean, James Aish has reinvigorated his career. So he's taught him how to play a certain way. Aish was always a nice, neat player, could use the ball quite well. But now he's playing with real commanding presence in there. You mentioned some of those guys. I mean, I'm guilty as well, Al, of the last couple of years not having done many Fremantle games because they were going so badly um, there for a bit. They often weren't on the um, the Friday night clash or the Saturday night clash. This year, like probably like a lot of people, I've been uh, studying up like I used to the uh, night before an exam bolts and um, <laughs> just understanding why Frederick's so good. How does he find that space? What's Schultz doing that allows him? Brody, why didn't he play at the Gold Coast Suns and now he's having such an impact? It's it's study time for me because these players deserve it. They are The type of footy they're playing is the type of footy that wins premierships, a balance in great defensively, ve- excellent offense, Offensively with their, their speed and ability to get to the outside and really, really good in the contest, led by, as you mentioned, a wonderful Ruckman as well. Mm. Sean Darcy's just superb. And David Mundy is as an on-field coach out there. You go, well, hang on a second. <laughs> this team is just, they're going at light speed towards their peak of their development. This was supposed to be two or three years old. It's been remarkable. Alex Pierce also, also Brennan Cox, like just you know, really solid in defence and just um, yeah, lesser lights across the across yeah. the AFL scene, but they've got to be you know heralded now. If if we if we haven't before, they have to be now. 
there's one player who certainly isn't a lesser light who was running around in the WAFL on the weekend <laughs> playing against Subiaco and it wasn't his greatest performance naturally coming back from the shoulder surgery Nat Fife, but uh, gee, there was just a mini version of Buddy Mania, some of the action that was going on after the game there. Uh, where does he play when he comes back into the side? I find this so intriguing how they handled Nat Fife, who declared that the four days, the days of going forward and kicking goals were over, he was back into the midfield. And now you've got this midfield that's performing so strongly. So David Mundy, we had on the podcast um, a few weeks back, and he said that you know he had the capacity to be the sprinkling, uh, the sprinkles on the top of the cake, Nat, Nat Fife. But he comes in surely for their next match, doesn't he? And, and where does he play when he does? He doesn't play 100% midfield time. I think he spoke wishing and hoping in the preseason, saying the days of being a forward are over. Um, I think he's had to reassess that. I think Justin Longmuir would have had lots of conversations and it's a, it's a gentle process as you convince someone. Um, I, I'm not saying he plays totally forward. I think there'll be a, a really good split between midfield and forward, but he will play much bigger chunks forward as that high-impact player or at times almost a third tall type. Like, like think of when at times Geelong used Paddy Dangerfield as a forward, um, almost out of the goal square, just because he commanded a, a really good defender on him. Um, Fife will do the same. You, you can't have one of your, um, your zoning off or even your attacking defenders playing that five. You've got to have one of your best lockdown key position type defenders on him. And then he'll play, I don't know, call it 60% in the midfield. And what an impact that can be, just smashing in like he does. He played with that battering ram style. That's just going to complement the rest of the midfield, isn't it, Bolts? Given what Sarong can do and Brayshaw can do and Brody can do and all of them, Fife's ability to play with that high-intensity, great contested style will complement what they've got in there as long as he's not 100% there because I don't think he can run both ways and get to the outside like the others. Yeah, I'm absolutely in agreement. I think you don't have him attending every centre bounce. I think I look at almost a little bit like Paddy Cripps in the fact that he's now being complimented by having Chera and Hewitt and Kennedy and those types around him. Take a little bit of other people take a little bit of bash and crash. You know, it extends. You can go forward, have that impact as well. I'm absolutely in agreement, Lingy, that that his mix will be you know 60 40 or so, but. A good quality AFL midfield has depth and they keep just throwing quality midfielders at, at the opposition. So I tell you what, you're lining up on Will Brody and then suddenly Nat Fife rolls in, in on you and then switches again. You're like, wow, this is, I'm in for a tough day. How do you think Nat would cope, Lingy, with the idea of him being the sprinkles, almost complimentary <laughs> to what they've already got when he has been the beacon, he's been the star of that side for a long time as much as they had Lockie Neal there playing a starring role for a while as well. But he, he's the, been the main man at Fremantle and he's probably not going to be required to be that anymore. No, and well, he's, got to, he's got to embrace that. Otherwise, he'll get left behind. And that seems stupid to say when he's a two-time Brownlow medalist and a star of the game. But if, he, if, if he's thinking negatively about that type of thing, then he won't actually, he won't immerse himself in what they're doing right now. What they're doing right now is pretty damn special. Um, and it becomes a distraction. It becomes uh, and sort of clashing with, with the styles of the way they're playing. I don't think he'll do that. I think, I think that, um, I think this year in the start to the year, the first half of the year, 
will have just solidified in Nat's mind that, oh, no, okay, now I get it. I understand what Justin Longmuir has been trying to do. Probably for the last two years, he's been sitting there thinking, hang on, I know better and I'm, I'm better and just put me in there and I'll take care of it and, and I'm better than all of these young players you're trying to give game time to. And he's right. But now with what they're doing, I think Nat will say, okay, I understand what you've been doing for two years and I get it and it's, it's something that could lead to us winning a premiership. Um, if he doesn't, honestly, he will get left behind because as good as he is, Fremantle are capturing something that is so united and so sustainable for success that Nat needs to now be a part of that rather than the only part of it. What do you yeah. reckon, Bolts? Yeah, I think I don't think he's going to be left behind, but I think you've got to be able to craft the conversation and say this is the right thing for us to be successful. And that's selflessness. Doesn't matter if you're the best player. We're we're better at the compliments of everyone and having, you know, the the collaborative approach across our team and making sure that everyone's contributing because that's what's going to win your games and that's the only thing that he hasn't achieved. So. Right. I don't want to put words in your mouth, Bolts, um, so please correct me if I, I'm mistaken. We had to have those conversations with Gary Ablett Jr. Uh, and Gaz had to embrace it, and Gaz did, and Gaz became the best player in the competition still for a long, long time with a mindset, though, of I'm part of this unit and we're going to do it together. The times where we get to stoppages and centre bounces and Gaz would always he'd be going to the opposition hit zone. He wasn't always the primary hit to. And he, he was like, yep, no worries. What do you need me to do? And he'll do it and he'd be amazing at it and he's the best player. But it was this mindset of wherever you need me, whatever you need from me, I'm going to do it. We had to have those conversations. Is that what same with Goodsy perhaps with you guys in getting Goodsy to understand um, you are one of the best players in the competition um, but we need you doing that within the framework of whatever the team needs from you, you embrace. Yeah, I think it was conversations with Goodsy, conversations with all different players that, are, you know, quite often can be that headline act. And, you know, yeah, there's always that little bit of arrogance from a from a footballer that you want to be that that person that, okay, I'm going to try and drag us across the line here. Well, you've got to put park that to the side. And I think those are the sort of tough conversations that good quality teams have. Day in, day out, week in, week out, in every review, it's really consistent. It's nothing personal. It's here to make us better. And I think I look at, say, Essendon. Are they having those conversations to say, you know what, getting 40 possessions today isn't isn't the best thing for us? You know, we need you to hook in. I mean, I look back in perhaps Richmond's time before they were successful, you know, Cochin getting, say, 35 disposals compared to him getting 20 and having seven tackles and being so influential as a leader suddenly changed their mindset. Yeah, spot on. Just on Brisbane, did you see anything that worried you about their performance, the Lions? Uh, for me, I think just the, the fluctuations in hit, uh, just around the contest. I think you, you need to be able to, uh, you know, modern footy, there's so much momentum shifts, but you need to be able to have that push back when it happens. And I just felt that, you know, Fremantle were able to wrestle the, the momentum in that third term purely around hit and contest around the middle. And 
that that's a, a worry because considering considering the the quality of players through that that Brisbane midfield. So I, I thought they started well enough. I thought their you know their um, their forward line pressure was really strong. Uh, a lot of tackles inside forward fifty, but then you know Fremantle lifted and you know they didn't quite exactly go with them the whole way. So there's there's elements that they'd be working on. Would Chris Fagan be concerned about the form of Harris Andrews at all? Do you think, Lingy? Obviously, he has been one of the best intercept players in the competition. He's been someone who repels so well, who's been brilliant one-on-one for the Lions. Was far from his best tonight, but is also probably at times throughout the season not quite measured up to form of previous years. Yeah, I, I think it would be a, a couple of little conversations and a, and a week or two of just getting Harris to reset back to what made him an All-Australian defender and, and one of the best in the game. Um, so not, not massive concerns of keeping Chris Fagan up at night, but it would be the, the subtle art of coaching and just bringing a top-quality player back to the fundamentals and foundations of their game. Um, Harris, yeah, I, I didn't think he was great in that game at all. And, and at times his starting points were off and, and maybe he was thinking that he could outread the Fremantle forwards and he, he, he knew exactly where it was going. But that Fremantle forward line is so just dynamic. There's no predictability about going into that Fremantle forward line. There's not that one... It's clearly going to that person every single time I know where I've got to go. Um, and I think he got lost with that. And, and so I think Chris Fagan just gently brings him back to what makes him a good player. And that's something that can be done. It, it might take a little bit and a couple of little steps and a couple of conversations, a couple of training sessions, and maybe still one more game, but he'll get him there. Um, my my main concern out of that for Brisbane comes back a little bit to uh, with Fremantle's ability to just be relentless across the field, that little cracks just got exposed. I don't think they're major ones. They're not, they're not the San Andreas fault, <laughs> Al. They're not going to cause any sort of massive, massive dramas for Brisbane. But there's little ones. When Daniel Rich is forced to defend on a super, super dangerous forward, does he get lost a little bit defensively? He's a weapon attacking off halfback. He's got that. Does he just get exposed to touch when he's got the when the opposition's got the right matchup on him? Um, Cam Rayner, I thought, was really good when he came into the middle of the ground. But can he do it for long enough to support Lockie Neal and Hugh McCluggage. Can Jared Berry, we've talked about this before, I'll take that little extra leap. Jared Lyons, can he still sustain it? Little mini cracks um, that I think will be fine and, and will get, we'll get fixed up. Um, but just a couple of little questions linger around them that uh, when the whips are cracking at the pointy end of September, are, they, are those cracks going to open up again? Great to have Jude Bolton with us, our special guest this week. Coming up in just a moment, we will talk Collingwood. The Magpies have won three in a row and they're inside the top eight. The Al and Lingy Show.
The Magpies are not only inside the top eight, Jude and Lingy, but they're a side that has knocked off quality opposition as well. They've beaten Fremantle in Perth. They've beaten St Kilda. They've beaten Carlton. I'm just going to throw it out there to you. Can they play finals football, the Magpies? What do you reckon? I think they can. They've just been able to show that, that they can stand up in big games. I think they've got you know, a really dynamic forward line. Uh, I just think you know, they're, they're, they've got some real quality across the, across the park. And I think there's got to be that confidence that, hang on, our best is good enough. It's just consistency for, for the Pies. There's, there's too many times where, uh, you know, can we trust them week in, week out? Um, but they've shown, and I love the way Craig McRae's just been able to give them that attacking style. I thought you know, at times uh, they really hurt uh, Hawthorne early on on turnover because Hawthorne were being so almost reckless going through the middle. It was actually giving away soft goals. Better sides aren't going to give you those soft goals early. So how how are we going to score when sides are a little bit more, I guess, treating the footy with gold, like gold uh, through that through that midfield? But, um, yeah, no, they've, they've been super impressive, been very impressed by by the Collingwood team. Yeah, I'm with you, Bolts. And, and one thing is, no matter what, their pressure is high. So they're giving themselves a chance um, and, and they've got a good enough blend of experience. We talked about Scotty Pendlebury before. Chris Taylor, fantastic. Taylor Adams, Jack Crisp, yeah, these types of players. Combined with some young enthusiasm and excitement, Ollie Henry, I mean, clutch goal and, and he's been terrific since he's come back in. Ginevan is uh, driving officers <laughs> and fans completely crazy. The but, new Ballantyne. Yeah. <laughs> Pies fans love him, and, and so they should. Um, that sort of youth and excitement and both the day costs and everything, combined with that experience, you go, okay, there's something there. Um, I mean, it, that that last position in the eight is, is where they're aiming for. Would it come down to them, Richmond, the Bulldogs? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a tough – when you think of Richmond when they're all healthy and got all their players back, they're probably better than Collingwood. The dog's best, even though we don't seem to see it often enough, is probably better than Collingwood. But there's no reason because Richmond's bodies aren't holding up necessarily. The dogs aren't consistently displaying their best footy, and Collingwood are giving themselves a chance. So I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't put my house on it, Al. They're making the eight, but yeah, they're they're right in there with a big, big chance. They've given themselves every chance, partly, Lingy, because they finished 17th last season. They won six games under Nathan Buckley and Robert Harvey at the back end of the year. Craig McRae, his first year, they've already won seven games through the opening 12 rounds. And I mentioned those teams that they've beaten. So you get a softer draw if you finish 17th. They're run home. So they've got Melbourne, Queen's birthday. That's a tough assignment. Then they've got the bye. They've got GWS. They've got Gold Coast at Metricon. They have North Melbourne, Adelaide at the Adelaide Oval, Essendon, Port Adelaide, Melbourne, Sydney and Carlton to finish the season. So I think there's every chance Collingwood is going to be in the eight with three rounds to play against Melbourne, Sydney and Carlton to determine their fate. But they might be a game inside the eight by that point. You never know. That That's Absolutely. a fairly favourable draw ahead for them, I reckon. I like the tough run into the finals as well. So, like, that makes or breaks you. But also, if you get through that period, you know you're ready. You've come up against good quality opposition. You haven't just fallen into the, the finals. But, yeah, I'm excited where they're, they're, they're coming along, Colin. Al, you're the mathematician amongst us here. <laughs> what, what's... What's your feel this year? Is it 13 games gets you in or 12? 
Yeah, I'd, I'd been sort of starting to head towards 13, Lingy, such as the uh, the clutch or the the tightness. We have a couple of teams that obviously are well below the others at the moment in North Melbourne and West Coast and, and Adelaide's emerging as well. But Port Adelaide's still sort of just around the mark. Gold Coast has split its season at six and six, so they can't be totally discounted as well. The Western Bulldogs have the list to play finals footy, but they've got a really hard draw towards the end of the season and they're outside the eight at the moment. And then you've got Richmond who you mentioned last week and I agree are capable of doing some, some damage if they can get there. So yeah, I think it's going to be really tightling in and maybe 13 might get you. And we have seen that in, in years gone by from time to time that you might need 13 or, or 12 and a very, very good percentage to get you into the top eight. So yeah, seven wins for the moment at the, the, this point of the season for Collingwood and needing to find five, maybe six more wins in the back end of the season. It's doable. They've, they've given themselves a chance and that is probably exceeding where I expected them to be, to be honest. Yeah, no, that that's absolutely right. I, I had them not making the eight and if, if they got to win six out of 10, it might be just beyond them, but what a stepping stone for next year as they continue to build those young players up and um, most of their experienced players are still, uh, in a good window of their prime. Uh, Pendles is the oldest of the the lot of them, but I mean, we've already touched on the fact that he brings so much and he's still playing such good footy that that's fine. So this, this was probably the year where they were really going to just battle around at the bottom of the ladder and just get some games into young players. This is a much better stepping stone and launching pad than I expected. So Good on them, and who knows? They might even get that finals experience, which would be huge in their development. Nick Dacos, 36 disposals, 798 metres gained today <laughs> for Collingwood. So, goodness me, he's given so much already in the brief glimpses we've had of that young star. Bold. Super composed, so composed. I mean, he's just been able to just duck and weave. He's throwing candy out, out there at different stages, but um, to be so clean and go down off half back. But actually, you know, it's not down there just purely to – to, to kick chase. He's he's taking an opponent and, and playing within the structure. Um, so I've been really impressed. Boltz, Al tries to influence uh, the rising star voting, which uh, I cannot comment on as we cross <laughs> the halfway point of the year. Um, I know you won't get sucked into any of this sort of nonsense, but there's a good crew of them, isn't there? When you think how good Dacos is going, Rochelle's been excellent for Adelaide. De Koning's De Koning. playing terrific footy for the Cat. Newcomb. Uh, those yeah, guys, John Newcomb yeah. was superb again today. Yeah. There's, it's, it's exciting when you get a really big group and it's not just one, oh, he's the clear favourite. Yep. Well, every, the entire selection panel will be giving him five votes. These votes could be mixed completely. Like one of our selectors could be giving someone five, another one might give them one, but not because they haven't had a great year. It's just they, they love someone else more. It, it's going to be a great rising star. Oh, it's a fantastic, um, you know, I guess some of the nominees have been just, you know, and super influential. Like guys have, have missed out at different stages and and had big games where you go, look, that's uh, you've probably been a little bit stiff there. But, I mean, I, I you look at, say, to Conning's effort on the weekend uh, uh, against Aaron Norton, you know, after the rising star perhaps for a man who's uh, – you know, quite understated and doesn't like the limelight to then back it up and have such a big role and and for Tom Stewart to go down. And I love the way he was really vocal out there as well, just being able to impact and 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 set the structure for, for the Geelong defensive unit. So he's been impressive. They were electric early, the Cats, seven goals to one. It was 
It was really surprising the way the Bulldogs started that game, smashed in contested possession by 10 in the first quarter and, and completely outplayed by Geelong. The Bulldogs then went back to playing the way that we know that they can. And Tom Liberatore was so instrumental in getting them back into that game. But ultimately, the damage had been done by Geelong in that first term. Lingy and Cameron uh, just continued his superb season, six goals for him, leading the Coleman medal. What did you take out? Last week, I got the sense you, even though Geelong beat Adelaide at Cadinia Park, I got the sense you were just a bit flat with the performance and you didn't see a lot of spark or anything to suggest that they could do much damage. You must have been... It would have been a bit of a different perception, I would imagine, early on Friday night. Yeah, I think I'm Geelong's premiership chances are growing on me, Al. Um, and before everybody who's listening says, oh, well, you're a Geelong fan and everything like that. Yes, I am. Of course I am. But I try and be as honest as I possibly can on the Cats. Coming into this round, they were the only team in the competition who were in the top five for both attack and defence. So they have a good balance in their game. They are very good in their forward line. Nobody can argue with that. Jeremy Cameron, Tom Hawkins, Tyson Stengel, Brad Close, all playing terrific footy. I think they're really sound down back. I think Tom Stewart's one of the best defenders in the game. I think Zach Tui's playing really good footy. Jed Buse is excellent. Coning has stepped up better than I thought he would in his um, what is shaping up as his first full season. Um, and then Jack Henry to come back in. All along, I've said the midfield is my only little question mark. Uh, and it was again on Friday night because the Cats were too good for the Dogs' defenders. The Cats' forward line looked dangerous at all times. But when the Dogs got back into the game and pegged it back on the scoreboard, it was through a complete dominance in the middle of the ground, led by Tom Liberatore. So those questions still nag away at me. But I look at some of the good decisions they've made to put Paddy Dangerfield out and not worry about trying to just grind him through the season. Try and get some form of peak Dangerfield back for finals in the middle of the ground. Um, Brandon Parfitt's got more responsibility in there. I thought he was excellent in the first half on the weekend, maybe drifted off a little bit. But trying to find other people through that middle part of the ground, which can add that extra layer at least they're having a crack at it and they've got enough of a balance in their attack and enough of balance in their defence that I'm getting more and more bullish on them doing something this year. Not, not as a Geelong fan and just hoping, looking at it from an analytical perspective, they've got elements in their game which can hold up. The midfield needs to be probably go up 5 or 10% to be a real genuine premiership chance. But I think they're heading there. Especially they've got a really favourable draw at the back end. I mean, they play West Coast twice in the run home. Um, you know, even after this break, they're sitting on eight, eight wins at the moment and they've got West Coast, Richmond and North Melbourne after the bye. So I think they've, they've got you know, a, a big stake of claim towards the back end of the year. All right. And what about the Western Bulldogs? I, how do I frame this? Bailey Smith's action... The headbutting action looked terrible and it, and it has a sort of a, a thuggish element to it that can't be tolerated in the game as much as Bailey Smith is clearly not a thug. But if you look at the letter of the law, medium impact for that headbutt. If I was the Western Bulldogs and as we speak, they have not declared their hand, I would be challenging that because I think you could make a very strong case that that was low impact and reduce the penalty by a week. What, what do you lads think of that? 
I, I, I said on radio yesterday, Al, that I thought this would have an optics tax on it. Yep. And I think it did. I think it was probably a one-week thing and they gave him two mm. purely because the AFL does not want headbutting being, featuring in their game at all. And, and that's why it's two. My worry was, or not worry, but I, I thought maybe there was a chance they were going to give him two and it ends in three with that tax put on it. But I think two is about right. I, I don't know, Bolts, did you, do you think he was harshly so, done by? It feels, it feels a little bit that optics as well. Like I, I, I look at, I guess it's on the back of all the talk was on Franklin the week before for, uh, you know, his strike on Cochin uh, and whether he could try and get that downgraded. It was never going to get downgraded um, after he was, it was, uh, um, you know, found to have one week. And I thought, I think two weeks feels about right for that headbutt. Um, but we'll wait and see whether the Western Bulldogs choose the challenge. It'd be interesting. Yeah, we, I agree. We always love, we love, feels the right. we love the way, obviously, Bailey Smith plays, but that is just so out of character. We don't want to see that in the game. It's a it's a terrible look. That, yeah, that, it was a bad, bad look. And I agree on the optic t- optics tax front. But if you were looking at the, the laws of the game the and the rules around suspension... And we talked about this last week with the Marlon Pickett bump that resulted in a week. And then you compare that to Buddy Franklin throwing one at Trent Koch and how can the two things get the same result? But that's because of the framework that these decisions are made under. And Michael Christian has to look at the framework and he makes a determination. So I think, I do think that the Bulldogs have a case that they could lodge that might be able to to mitigate at least a little bit of that and get a a week reduced based on the rules. That's why I was surprised they did it under the framework. I thought they'd send it straight to the tribunal yep. when they give yep. the two weeks to not allow that framework to be used against the uh, the decision. But I think that's also great because then it gives everyone a chance to understand, well, what are the arguments against this particular thing? And let's make a, a, a categoric decision around where do we stand with headbutts? Because, yeah, sometimes the matrix things just don't quite sit well within them. Isn't it, isn't it disappointing because Bailey Smith, was turning that entire game. Tom Liberatore was brilliant, but then it was Bailey Smith who was adding that other element in that third quarter. He was a monster in that third term. That one passage of play where he was involved at half back and strong and tough and won it and then ran all the way, got it again, the fend off, set up the shot at goal. Unfortunately, the set shot was missed. It deserved a goal. But he was threatening to just completely take over that game. Then that happens. And I don't know, it must have weighed on his mind, uh, the being reported and being involved in such an ugly incident because he was non-existent in the last quarter when he'd been playing so superb up to that point. And I just love the way he plays. He's one of the most special midfielders going around as far as what he is already, but what he also could be. Um, it's just, it's a shame that that it happened. And now he's yeah, probably missing the next two. Where do you see the dogs, his- Jude? Sorry, yeah, I, I was going to say it must have played on his mind because he did make a, a beeline to Zach Tui just to, you know, apologise and things like that afterwards. So, yeah, it's um, oh, for me, it's a little, I look at some of their losses. I mean, they've lost to Adelaide, for instance, and, you know, Richmond, Port Adelaide. Um, they're a hard one to gauge at this point. They're a really hard one for me to gauge. I think sometimes they can be too Norton-focused entering inside forward 50. I love when they, they throw English down there just to test test opposition uh, defences uh, because he can take a, take a good pluck. So, yeah, I come back again to that consistency of midfield hit as well. You know, 
they um, Geelong were able to get on top and and, and uh, provide uh, really good looks for, for Jeremy Cameron in that early stages. Just quick mentions as we wrap up tonight. So the Adelaide Crows, a victory for them. So they now have four for the season. The Ford line looked potent. McAdams had a good year. The Walkers had a good year. Uh, and Darcy Fogarty, who's spent a lot of time in the SANFL, he was the big hope for Adelaide that he would come in and, and almost become the next Tex Walker. It, it hasn't eventuated, but there were signs finally for, for him on the weekend that he, or even in the last couple of weeks, that he, he might yet turn into a pretty handy league footballer. So that was a solid performance. West Coast were thoroughly outplayed. Um, they've been in terrible form, eight losses in a row. And they did fight it out towards the end, at least pleasingly. Um, but I think that's a baseline, isn't it, against the, the Adelaide Crows, where their list is at at the moment, given West Coast had, what, eight premiership players in that side on the weekend? I think that's got to be. It's, I mean, I just... I, are you scratching your head with West Coast bolts? I mean... No, it's appalling. No, it's, for me, it's it's been one of the biggest disappointments. So I think there's too much... You should have too much pride in your own performance and there's enough quality. We've seen those guys play in the 2018 grand final and, and dominate. Um, you you have pride of performance when you step out on the footy field. You've, you owe it to your fans. You owe it to the people who come through the gates um, and have some self-respect. And I, I just think be tough to play against. You know, be... Work on something. Work on something. Be defensively tough to be, to have seven games in a row over fifty points. And yes, they showed a little bit of fight. Al, as you mentioned, uh, you know, got got reasonably close. And uh, uh, you know, Darling suddenly burst into into light, and, and Gaff got a bit of the footy and things like that. But yeah, where are we? Ju- where are they judging themselves? What's that week in week out uh, baseline effort? Yeah, that's that's a good question, Bolts, because you're talking about you know. <laughs> Pride and 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 baseline effort, but then you start using names like Gaff and Darling and Luke Shuey and Redden and Kelly and Hearn and Barras and all of these people, and go, hang on a second, this isn't this isn't the Gold Coast Suns in their first year and a bunch yeah. of players we've never it heard. Like of. Expansion, it feels like an expansion team at the moment, which is yeah. like, you know, like this come is on. genuinely. Those, those names were not that long ago A-grade players in the AFL. I mean, it's got to be better than what they're producing at the moment. No, the Gold Coast quietly achieving. Uh, they knocked off North Melbourne in a match you'd expect them to win. North started really well, but Gold Coast just absolutely put the foot to the floor in the second quarter. So they've had a good couple of weeks in, in Darwin, and I, I wonder how, um, how tangible the effects of, of the weeks away would be for that group as well with so many young players to be in Darwin, to have some cultural experiences together and win two games of football in the, the Stuart Jew era. I just wonder how important that fortnight might be for that club. I think it's galvanising. Those sort of away trips um, where you get a chance to really bunker down as a team and, you know, you, you're, you're basically living in each other's pockets, to be honest, but it's great for team culture to build that closeness and that's what that's what gets you through the tough times. And, you know, super impressed by their leaders. I thought, you know, Took Miller in his 150th. Um, I love the integrity of his running patterns. You know, you look at where he's charging back into defence to mop up and then he's hard pushing hard forward and, 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 and putting on a, you know, incredible tackle inside forward 50 or the like. But um, I just thought they were, they, you know, they've got a lot about them at the moment and Stuart Jew has been really impressive. And it's a cool time, isn't it, Bolts? You remember back when, pre these little annoying kids that we've all got now and you, if you're going away on a trip at all, you're always thinking about the fact that oh, I should be home, I should be doing this. 
when you're coming through as a young group and pretty much no one in the whole group has got kids or anything like that, when you go away together, it is so fun. I mean, it's it's basic fun. It's a, like, There's nothing crazy going on. It's sitting in each other's room playing cards, um, <laughs> maybe, maybe having a beer together after the game, um, watching a Premier League game or something that's on late night TV or something like that, and just talking complete nonsense and not having a care in the world, going down and grabbing a coffee or whatever. And you're just spending time laughing and fun and it's getting to know each other time without even formalising it as getting to know each other time. It's just great fun hanging with your teammates without a care in the world of, oh, I've got to get back to, you know, family responsibilities or kids. You're just a you're 22-year-old who just loves being amongst the boys. Um, so, that, yeah, you're right. That is That is really cool. They're some of my happiest memories, by the way. <laughs> oh, oh. No, I used to love it. Like you throw the bag on the carousel and you're you're on the plane and you know where you're headed. It's like, I, yeah, you, they're, they're the sort of things that, that build long relationships and, you know, a really great team culture. Lads, great chatting some footy with you. Um, I knew Jude Bolton would deliver big time for us, Lingy, just <laughs> like he did in his playing days. He gave absolutely everything to this program tonight. So, Jude, great chatting to you. Thanks, mate. Appreciate you jumping on board and Lingy as always. Now, Thursday night football, we've got that to look forward to returning this week, live and free on 7, Richmond and Port Adelaide at the MCG. So that's Thursday night clash, Essendon versus Carlton at the MCG on Friday as we kick off round 13. Thanks for tuning in or watching. If you've jumped on 7 Plus, you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts and we'd love a review as well. Jude, Lingy, have a great week. Thanks, Cheers, Al. Al. Thanks, Thanks, Lingy. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.